Today's episode of On Shuffle is brought to you by Miller Lite. Look, here on The Ringer, we have our disagreements, but there shouldn't be any debate about this. Miller Lite is the great-tasting light beer. With only 96 calories and 3.2 grams of carbs, that's fewer calories and half the carbs of Bud Light, so there's really nothing more to talk about. If you have a real argument, let me hear it. Until then, stick with Miller Lite. Miller Lite, hold true. Drums, please. Hey, this is Bill Simmons. My all-time song of the summer, Summertime, Will Smith, as the Fresh Prince, hooked up with DJ Jazzy Jeff. Here it is, a groove slightly transformed, just a bit of a break from the norm. Just a little something to break the monotony of all that hardcore dance that has gotten to be a little bit out of control. Came out in the spring of 91. I was in college. I think I was a junior. And first of all, the song had Summertime in the title. It made me feel like it was summer. It was the kind of song you just blasted. It was before hip-hop went in a whole bunch of different directions. It just was kind of simple and happy. And it just made you think of summer. You just want to put the top down in your car and blast Summertime. Welcome to another episode of On Shuffle. I'm your host, Michael Peters. I'm a staff writer at The Ringer. And today we are going to be figuring out what the definitive 2018 song of the summer is. Now, up top, let me establish that I don't mean your personal song of the summer or mine, which, not that you asked, but it's top off by Gunna. The noted Young Thug Disciples February mixtape cut is absolutely a vibe, but not the song of the summer for any one of several reasons. One of them being that it's possible to go outside and not hear it out of every passing car, which really is a shame. But we'll get into more of those reasons with Nate Sloan and Charlie Harding, the hosts of Switched On Pop. They're going to be helping me count down the top three songs of the summer, and eventually we'll arrive at number one, which I wonder what it is. Also, throughout the episode, you'll hear little inserts from Ringer staff, including all three of my bosses and my producers, all of whom will be talking about their all-time favorite song of the summer. Let's go. Okay, in order to be as scientific as possible about this Song of the Summer thing, I've brought in two experts. Here in the studio, I've got Charles Harding and Nate Sloan, the hosts of Switched On Pop, the music podcast that explains to you why you like the things you do. And today, we're going to figure out what the Song of the Summer is by first explaining what it isn't. <laughs> what isn't it? Good to be here. That's no, great. Uh, it's good to have you. It's good to have you. So you've been doing recently on Switched On Pop this series on songs of the summer from summer's past. Yeah. The most recent one was part Katy Perry, part Nelly. Uh, you atomized hot in her, which, um, you know, like <laughs> I think we, yeah. 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 <laughs> you were talking about the musicality of hot in here, like the, the harmonic tension. I picked that, that term up mm. I, I, that mm. I had previously well not said. understood. Yeah. <laughs> Could you just kind of briefly explain harmonic tension to begin with? Harmonic tension in, in this probably can have a lot of forms, but in, in the case of a song like hot in her or Katy Perry's, I kissed a girl where interested in how the songwriters create this sense of like summer heat mm -hmm. by using uh, this technique of having a set of chords uh, that are repeating, but there's uh, they're changing, but there's one note underneath that doesn't change. So you get this tension as there's like this, this uh, solitary bass note. If you think about hot in here, produced by the Neptunes in no. the uh, <laughs> mid-2000s. Mm -hmm. If you listen to that song, there's just this one bass note that never changes through the whole song. Right, you call it home. Yeah, so exactly, home. Right. The tonic, mm -hmm. this is like where we get the notion of tonality. You have this fundamental tone. Mm -hmm. And what Nelly does in that track with uh, the Neptunes is they're constantly changing the chords on top of that, which creates this tension when it doesn't match up with that fundamental bass note. Literally, we think of that as like creating heat, you know, generating mm -hmm. friction. Mm -hmm. And that's why it becomes, in that case, such a anthemic summer song. What would you say the criteria are for like the song of the summer? Is it just replayability? Is it 
that ability for a song, say, from a rapper from St. Louis to transcend regionality? Uh, what would you say it is? Like, if you had to say off the would it just be like, it? it's August and we should be sick of whatever it is by now? <laughs> well, spoiler alert, I don't know if it's harmonic tension anymore. <laughs> I think we'll talk about that as we look at some of the big songs in the mm-hmm. summer, which actually could really not be more different than... I think some of the songs we've looked at in our summer series from the past mm-hmm. may, right. may disagree well, with me. Well, I, I, I guess I would say that we, we probably don't see there being like discrete musical qualities right. that mm-hmm. you could identify through, you know, generations of summer songs. They happen in fads. Right. It might be maybe there's some more abstract criteria that could help you sort of define a summer song. Yeah. So I, I, I look at a summer song obviously has to be danceable. Right. right. But it also I think it has to be like chillable. Right, the most popular yeah, category on yeah. on Spotify is some variation of chill. Okay, right? <laughs> all the playlists you're either chilling or you're working out, but most of them are chilling. And so I think it has to work cross category. You have to be able to be in multiple places. Um, it similarly has to be drivable. You have to be able to listen to it in your car, mm-hmm. windows down. Uh, and I think the, the, maybe this is not always the case, but I think that there is usually some sort of like timelessness feeling of the song, which is not to say that the song will stick around forever, mm-hmm. but rather that there's like this sense of never-ending summer, time stretching on forever. We want this moment to never end. Tonight, 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 let's let it never end. <laughs> Tonight's the night, dance all night, we'll never die, it's tonight. You know, like it has to have that kind of quality. So there's like almost a, a timeless nostalgia. So what we got, we've got chillable, danceable, drivable, and this timeless quality. What are some other songs that you can think of that have come out this summer that, you know, like were purposely trying to be Song of Summer but just missed the mark for one reason or the other? Well, there's an obvious answer to that, which is Childish Gambino's Summer Pack, right? <laughs> yeah. Releases two songs with the word summer and then yeah. literally packs them as summer mm-hmm. and kind of both fail to have certainly at least the success of This Is America, mm-hmm. which may be appropriate considering the, the, the strength of the political narrative of This America and then trying to make a fun, breezy summer yeah. track after the fact. This is like, there's kind of like a brand mismatch going on. So that the cognitive dissonance, I don't know, the, the songs didn't quite pick up. Yeah, the Childish Gambino Summer Pack was the Feels Like Summer record was very like, I'm going to put this all in the background of my house while I cook dinner on a Sunday <laughs> evening. Yeah. There's also the barbecue ability of a yeah. song. The barbecue <laughs> ability is that, that's the one that we missed. Barbecue ability is an important one. And what about Ape Shit by uh, the Carters? Yeah, you know, I think it actually might suffer from the same thing that those Childish Gambino tracks does. In both Ape Shit and Childish Gambino's songs, there seems to be a, a lack of some kind of central hook, some kind of central climax point that you yep. can lock into as a listener. Charlie's criteria of chillability, <laughs> uh, we're accepting that as, uh, <laughs> as, as an important part of, of, of you know, summer, then maybe those songs air too much on the side of chillability. They, have, they don't really have any, any peaks and valleys. They just kind of hum along at, at one frequency. Mm. Yeah, which is strange because Ape Shit, of course, is trying to get this quality of, like, have you ever seen a crowd going Ape Shit? Mm-hmm. And the things are supposed to be big and epic, but the song throughout kind of has a similar energy, and you don't get a build to a climax. They've kind of blown it from the start, and you need to have, oftentimes, some sort of arc to your song so that you're building towards something that everybody can, you know, hit the dance floor on. Yeah, which unfortunately is not call my friends and put them all on the spaceship, which is, (laughs) honestly, I would like to be able to do that. Um, Yeah, there's also a relatability issue (laughs) in this track. Like, they're they're name-dropping brands I haven't even heard of. How did you get so close to the Mona Lisa? (laughs) Anyway, um, there's also No Brainer, DJ Khaled. Watch the sun rise. 
put them up. Which is the exact same song as I'm the one, but yeah, you know. We tore that one up. On <laughs> we, like, yeah. Our show typically focuses on what makes a pop song work. And mm-hmm. in one instance, we had to go and figure out what makes a pop song not work. And Nate did a sort of expert deconstruction of I'm the one. And this is a little bit of a rehashing of that. I don't yeah. know if you'd like to share a bit of. Well, usually, I think usually we discover on our show that the more we listen to a song that initially we don't like, mm-hmm. the more we'll discover something within it to to love. And if not, you know, if, if it hasn't become a song that we listen to regularly, by the end of doing a, a deep analysis of it, we'll have something to appreciate. And there are only occasional exceptions to that. <laughs> and Khaled's I'm the One was one. The more we looked at it, the, the less we liked it, I think. No-brainer. My, I haven't honestly I haven't listened to it enough to to pass judgment on it, but it might suffer from a similar sort of derivativeness that I'm the one did. Yeah, it feels like it, the, all, the both tracks kind of feel like they're they're meant for retweets, right? You just phone it in to get your, the biggest stars you possibly can, who. Mm-hmm. Probably never got in the same room, each putting yeah. down a verse in like 15 minutes in between some sort of publicity shoot. It just, it, it, and, and like, and I think it intentionally has that kind of quality, but mm-hmm. it doesn't work for me. Again, maybe a relatability issue. Well, yeah, I mean, like, it's also just the fact that occasionally when you have those things where you're trying to get all of the star power possible until the same song, it's just kind of like the song it's comes out. It's like, I am the world. It's, I mean, I don't, mean to, don't mean to knock too much, but I mean, it's like you bring everybody together. You don't, it's actually, you don't get more than the sum of the parts. Right, it's it less than the sum of the parts, yeah. We are the world. Excuse me, yes. <laughs> I am the world. <laughs> wow, gratuitous, we are the world yeah. hate, Charlie. I don't, know, I don't know where that came from. I, I did not endorse it, but... this message. <laughs> does not represent the views of Switched on Pop. Right, but if we're talking about, say, longevity or replayability, but mm-hmm. not nece- but missing something crucial, I guess it would be like Nice for What, which kind of, you know, came out and then outlasted the entire Kanye circus throughout the month of June, <laughs> but still wasn't quite it. Everybody get your motherfucking roll on. I know shorty and she doesn't want no slow song. Had a man last year, life goes on. Haven't let it- Is there is any particular reason that why that might be, or was it just the fact that Drake came along and dethroned himself? <laughs> Well, I mean, both Nice For What and In My Feelings, I think, are awesome tracks and mm-hmm. are really you know, both drawing from the same New Orleans bounce tradition. Mm-hmm. Um, really fun tracks and, I think, reviving a sound which hasn't existed in the popular consciousness for, for quite a while. Mm. That That's certainly exciting. I think what we're going to see about both Nice For What and also In My Feelings and a lot of other songs that are that are popular right now is a strange deconstruction of form. Which might sound really boring. <laughs> Nate, can you make that sound way more exciting than a deconstruction of form and why uh, these things aren't picking up? I, I I'll do my best, but I'm you know I'm, e- I'm as equally nerdy as you, Charlie. So I make no promises. I mean, I think what what we were just talking about in uh, relation to childish Gambino is probably also true in Drake and and the great majority of uh, music at the top of the charts right now. There is this. Uh, and, and I don't use this word in a negative way, but there is like a certain monotony to a lot of music. There's this this chill factor we've been talking about is so prized right now that a lot of the things that have sort of like governed pop songwriting for the last hundred years, having, you know, very uh, verse chorus forms that have sharp contrast between the different sections that's all gone out the window now. And the the difference between verse, pre-chorus, chorus, bridge is very minimal at this point. Right. We're not seeing radical changes in the arrangement of the song. You're not seeing oftentimes changes in chord progression, underlying rhythm might mm-hmm. remain the same. And it might be just a slight variation on the same couple of notes that person's singing. But they're, able, they're doing it, I think especially Drake is doing it in a way where he just gets like a two note or three note little yeah. melody that sticks in your brain. It's a, it's yeah. a, Nate, you described this as a real particular gift of his. Oh yeah. I mean, Kiki, do you love me? That is such a simple little three note pattern. <laughs> and yet there's something about it that the first time you hear it, you're like, Oh, I'm going to remember that forever. for the rest of <laughs> yeah, my yeah, life. Yeah. And uh, that is, I, I, I mean, at some point our powers of analysis fail and you just have to go. He just has some, intuitive power to do that. One of the things that he's doing is in referencing 
bounce music. If you know bounce, he is just like grabbing all of your pleasure centers mm. and is like he is referencing the reference. He is giving credit to and sampling from the legends of the genre. He makes references of a little 808 trigger beat at the end of Nice For What, which if you don't know the music, you're like, I, okay, that's just a this nice is... little sound. But if you know it, you're going to have this audience of people who are all over it and analyzing every bit of it. Nice for what to these niggas, I understand. It's like you're getting this love letter if you're a Bounce fan, mm-hmm. and then for everybody else, they're intercepting that love letter. Mm-hmm. He's he's doing a really good job of hitting all those reference points and inciting them in a way which I, I'm very excited about. Right, so Gambino, Kanye, Jay-Z, Beyonce. I mean, No Brainer itself had Justin Bieber, Quavo, Chance the Rapper on it. And it's, you know, we don't want to say it's a brick, but it didn't exactly hit either. Mm-hmm. So I guess my question is, how important is star power really? Oh, it's, a, it's such a tricky balance, right? Mm. Because star power can absolutely garner an amazing amount of media attention. Mm-hmm. The song has to work too. I think in a lot of the examples that you gave, there is an issue of saturation. Uh, there are These are a lot of stars who have had a lot of attention and uh, that develop some sort of identity that you're then sort of comparing against. And so it becomes more challenging to maintain a long-term media narrative. Certainly with someone like Kanye, how did you put it? The circus of Kanye that we had to put up with. Mm -hmm. Like in order to enjoy the music, you're also dealing with the tweets and the political narrative. And there's all this stuff that's sort of loaded in it. Um, I think similarly though, a lot of these stars are working uh, towards, um, they're in the maturation point of their career in which are oftentimes putting out music which isn't intended to go number one, mm-hmm. right? Like if you look at the Carters, both with Lemonade and 444 and now with their album together, these these are, there's a lot of artistic choices that they're making that may not be, I want to hit number one on the charts. Like they're, they have a message they want to put out right. there. And, and I think that there's, that does not at all discredit, disqualify, or have any sort of negative connotation to the the work itself, it just might not be number one on the billboard. That doesn't mean it's not an, an exceptional Right, record. because there was a, there basically, it's a, you know, marriage counseling trilogy. Like it's, <laughs> so. Who knew that the marriage counseling trilogy was so powerful, yeah. <laughs> yeah. What do you think, Nate? I, I I mean, I think you're right. There's you're sort of subscribing to the the Beethoven model here, you know, in, in, in the sense that you can assigned sort of period, early, middle, and then the late period is often when artists become more abstract yeah. and abstruse and like, you know... Uh, it's not about accessibility at this point. No, yeah. right. It's about exploring themselves and the craft. Uh, so, yeah, I think that's part of it. I, I could also offer a much simpler explanation, which is that star power only goes so far. Yeah. Mm. And if the song isn't... There, you can be the biggest star in the world, and it's not going to be a hit. Absolutely. I mean, if if uh, we, we, we would have to do an exhaustive musical analysis of all of the above tracks, no-brainer, uh, apeshit, uh, you know, this is America, et cetera, to see, to pinpoint exactly where the fault lines are <laughs> that, like, m- might have prevented those tracks from surging to the top. All right, y'all, we're going to take a quick break but we'll be right back with our official countdown to Song of the Summer. Zach Mack, producer of On Shuffle here. My quintessential Song of the Summer all-time is definitely Aaliyah, Are You That Somebody? It dominated the summer of 1998. I was going into middle school that summer. I had just left elementary, going into middle school, just beginning to discover my own kind of personal taste in music. This song had everything. It had hip hop, it was super catchy, and Aaliyah was just this incredible pop star, and she was gorgeous. I specifically remember the music video where she has these like 
baggy swishy pants on and this little crop top and like silver eyeliner. She struck the perfect balance between like sexy and tomboy and I loved her and I love this song. It was number one on the Billboard charts uh, for seven straight weeks through the month of July. So it was like, not only was it my song of the summer, but it was like the song of the summer. It was like always number one or number two on like all the MTV countdowns and stuff. You couldn't escape it. And that is my song of the summer. Hey, this is Allison Herman, and my definitive song of the summer is Teenage Dream by Katy Perry. This song came out one of the first summers that I had my own car. And to me, Song of the Summer is so tied up in both songs playing out of car windows and that feeling of autonomy and being able to go wherever you want, when you want, which obviously driving has a lot to do with both those things. So that's my pick. All right, Nate, Charlie, and I are now going to get into the reductive awards part of the show. Okay, so now that we have kind of cycled through, the songs that we've previously mentioned could not be Song of the Summer, with the exception of one of them, which we will get to. (laughs) Let's go ahead and start going through our Songs of the Summer. So, yeah. Right on. We're going to count backwards, obviously, because that's the way that this, these things should work. TRL style. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, I hope everybody knows what that is. So, our top three. Number three, I Like It by Cardi B. Yeah, they call me Cardi B. I run this shit like Cardi. Yo, I'm district in the chain. Right, so this song just kind of sounds like bursting fire hydrants. <laughs> um, I forgot about that. Right here, yeah. Yeah, essential. <laughs> this is the most obvious song of the summer sounding, like kind of in the way that you know what yeah. an Oscar movie looks right. like. Yeah. <laughs> this sounds like a song of the summer. Yes, yeah, I agree. Absolutely. So what is it about this song? Is it the Pete Rodriguez sample? Is it the trap drums? Is it, what is it? It's got to be the interplay between all of the above. Mm -hmm. I mean, this is certainly a theme that will come up uh, also again and again, along with sort of like the collapse of of form into something more sort of linear and streamlined. Just this intertextuality that Charlie is talking about and like references layered upon references is so much a part of the sound of modern popular music and this song is like crystallizes that so well because you have all these layers. You have the Pete Rodriguez boogaloo sound sort of as the bedrock mm-hmm. of this. And and it's it's a cool sample because it's really it's hardly touched. I mean, it's just sitting there in the background, and then we dropped some 808s and trap drums on top of it. There are many times where it comes out raw through the track where she's just singing are rapping over that sample and you're mm-hmm. hearing the original and then it gets filtered out and you get the 808, you know, that kind of sound. But yeah, it's it's a very, it, they, they're, they're pointing to it oftentimes. Right, it's yeah. right there. So if we're thinking of this in terms of, yeah, the set of intertextual historic references, then we have this song which represents a style, Boogaloo, that in itself is this sort of hybrid, multicultural, multiracial sound that developed in New York in the 60s via, you know, this crazy Caribbean melting pot of Mm -hmm. Afro-Latin influences. And now today it's being revived by this Dominican-American rapper from the Bronx along with like some... Bad Bunny. Bad Bunny, J Balvin, Balvin, these Colombian guest artists. So part of, you know, musically, it's really exciting to listen to, like you said. But then also, I guess... Uh, I don't know, politically, culturally, it's got this this fire underneath it that's really exciting as well. Yeah. Did you know that that song caused the originals to basically 
had this gigantic streaming gain. It's two th- it went up 2,520% in streams after... The original, the original Lulu record. track. Yeah, out. and it hasn't like been that big of a spike since 1994. Right. Uh, when it was... Yeah. Redone by the, the Blackout, Blackout All-Stars. All-Stars. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, I mean, what what an incredible history to this song. <laughs> it does have a... There's I'm something... sure in 20 years there'll be another <laughs> version I, of I, it. I love this kind of sampling, though, where it's like you're taking something that... It, it did have a life at some point, mm-hmm. but it's not... It's not the DJ Khaled version of, like, let's take the biggest Santana song with... Uh, who's originally? It was the product G&B. That song was so big and like not that old, and then reviving it kind of just sounds like, oh, you're just doing that song again. Yeah. This is a style of sampling where you're like, you're the the modern representation perfectly pairs with the history of Boogaloo, as Nate's pointing out. And it's like it's far enough from uh popular zeitgeist that it's like a, it's a really wonderful revival as opposed to a I just kind know this re-heating. is gonna work, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Which means I think it's it has more staying power than if you just like, oh yeah, I know that song. I heard that recently. Yeah. Nate and I both played in Afro Latin jazz bands. Mm-hmm. He's a much more talented musician than I am at the piano, and I was playing bass fairly poorly. <laughs> but the bass line in I like it. has a very similar quality to the 808 version of the bass uh-huh. that Cardi B puts on the track. And so you have this sort of like, the, the Latin bass line, it uses all these weird anticipations and it kind of feels like you're counting calculus in your head in order to hit the right, if you haven't grown up in this culture, right. like learning it takes time. And I, I think that the 808 sort of updates, modernizes this upright bass line that you would have heard on the Boogaloo track. And so they're, it's just smart production. Yeah. It's fun. <laughs> but not quite fun enough. Uh-huh. <laughs> Segway. Segway. I think we're getting um, to number two. We are getting to number two, which is LMI's Boot Up. I discussed this on this podcast with uh, another colleague of mine, Victor Lukerson, about how this song came out on an EP like a year ago yep. in February and kind of had this really long, meandering road to the top of the charts. This, more so than, in a different way than I like it, plays on nostalgia, kind of sells your memories back to you. Like, For sure, yeah. I mean, because <laughs> this sounds like We Belong Together by Mariah Carey. In a, mm. in a way. Hmm. Also, there's just kind of like that hook that is this kind of jazz scatting thing where yeah. she's yep. she's miming a heartbeat and yep. it's really fun to sing. Sounds like wind in your face and sitting on the, the <laughs> handles of a bicycle and all that stuff. <laughs> Obviously, because I said it was number two, it's not number one. <laughs> yeah. uh, but... How does a song like this become popular? It doesn't have any of the trappings of, you know, like a number like a number one single would, you would think, in 2018. I think a lot of that has to do with the quality that Nate's describing. That this song just has this consistent texture throughout. Mm-hmm. We were just listening it we were just listening to it in the car on the way here. Mm-hmm. And the verse, the pre-chorus, the chorus, they all have pretty much the same instrumentation arrangement. I'm pretty sure the kick drum is the same kick drum all the way through. Uh, mm. it, but it's a really good one. In yeah. that it's like it's kind of constantly making you guess where it's going to land. But it has it, it. It does break down some of those qualities you might think of, like I don't know, from like a a Maroon Five kind of track where you're having this build to this major apex of the song, and everybody then drops in the post-chorus and dances. This is just one long texture, and I think that. You have to get comfortable with that texture. It requires repeated listening. It doesn't give you that every 30 seconds, some major change in energy. Mm-hmm. Instead, it's something you have to have heard a handful of times, and then you're kind of like, oh, yeah, I do want to chill and listen to that track. I don't know. What do you think, Nate? I agree. I mean, I think, first of all, we need a, a name for this 
term this this phenomenon that we're diagnosing yeah. now, whatever that is, the the unchanging, endless melody. It's like I a, don't know. A I think, I think it's, like, it's like it's like a sonic landscape. Mm. You're painting a picture, and it takes place over the entire song. A lot of these tracks are are songs you could listen to on repeat, like indefinitely, mm. and really not get sick of them. Uh, or, or maybe another way of saying that is, if the song, if each of these songs was like twenty minutes long, you would you would probably just you wouldn't mind at all because they have this sort of endless cyclicity to them. And it's you wouldn't want to be cynical about this because actually creating endless cycles is very challenging to do. Like anybody can create a four bar loop in music software and just put it on repeat, but to keep it interesting is hard. Yeah, mm-hmm. to have a baseline that or to have a kick drum that kind of stays on the same rhythm the entire song, and maybe there's a slight change here or there, I, I could be wrong, but more or less you're getting the same thing. Like, it's not easy to make that thing that when it ends, you want to hear it again. Mm-hmm. Um, so totally. I, I, I think it's I think it's an actually really expert quality to have that minimalism. It's not easy to reduce down to something which is so pure. No, 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 you're, I think that's right. And then there are these like subtle little moments that become anchors in the song. Charlie, in this, oh, in yeah. Boot Up, there's one that you identify I think that, that I think the, is cool. I think the whole song is about, in the chorus, there's just, uh, I think on the, the chorus is probably four phrases. And in the first phrase and in the third phrase, she says, boot up, just <laughs> as the bass line goes. So it's like, boot up, perfectly all of a sudden aligns with this, this, um, this kick, which is sort of dancing around and it's hard mm-hmm. to put down. Uh-huh. And all of a sudden, boom, they align. And so you have, and you have this wonderful sort of onomatopoeia, right? right. right. Boot up is the thump yeah, of, the your of your heart, and it's also like, hey, we're boot up together. You're my boo. Is there <laughs> double meaning? It's like it's really rich. And there's a tiny little moment, yeah. and everything else pauses. All those beautiful, you were saying, uh, you know, sort of selling nostalgia to you. You've got. In here, you've got 90s synths mm-hmm. and sort of R&B thick chords. There's even some little G-funk lines in the background mm-hmm. in the outro that I heard in mm-hmm. these FM piano lines. It's just like it, all of the sonic textures are putting you in the 90s, but all of that disappears for this one moment where it's like, boot up. Yeah. Beautiful Perfect. moment of synthesis. Mm. Cardi B was basically riding the success of Invasion of Privacy with I Like It. Mm. Um, yeah. Say... With in any other song of the summer candidate, you might have star power of some kind. I mean, a big name that everybody knows of, but I mean, like LMI was signed to DJ Mustard's imprint. And yep. I mean, like basically nobody had heard of it before, but yet this song is like really simple. Just everybody is singing it at this point. Speaks to its power, doesn't it? Right. If it's, mm. if you're not bringing the star power, of course, DJ Mustard's got pr- plenty of networks sure. to spread this track through. It doesn't even sound like a normal DJ Mustard production. It doesn't right. have any of that the heaviness and, and sort of thick bass lines that you expect in his sound. And but, it wasn't intended to be the like the the single from uh, her her mm. record. It was another song that I can't remember. But this was boot up was almost like an accidental mm. chart topper. Which I think points to what we were just talking about, that this, it's a song that rewards repeated listening, which might explain its sort of s- the slow burn of it over, yeah, over the course of a year to now be uh, ruling the charts. This is maybe not dissimilar. Wasn't this also the case for Louis Fonzi and Despacito? Like that, that song came out, I believe, way earlier than the summer and slowly, slowly found its place. Of course, Louis Fonzi... Has a, a huge audience, but not primarily in the pop charts, right? In the U.S. But pop chart. that also had the the Bieber uh, oh bump. That had the Bieber bump. That I didn't don't have know. The star I think, power. I think yeah. LMI yeah. is a cool example. You know, if you want to, if you want to look for, if if someone is coming at you with some heat about how the pop charts are totally uh, corporatized and and an equal and just the the mm. product of whatever artist is promoted the hardest. You can sort of point to boot up and say, well, what about LMI? Like, there are yeah. still outliers on the mm-hmm. charts. Or, or what about the Carters, which just you know, doesn't have, it does not quite hit the, you know, in terms of just like oh, where he's on the I charts. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you have the two biggest superstars in all of popular culture whose main single is, is not at the top. Yeah. Okay. We have talked about all of the other music. And we are now arriving at our number one, the song of the summer, which I mean, like, really, 
Just exhale that held breath. You already knew exactly what it was anyway. In My Feelings by none other than Drake. Yes. Kiki, do you love me? Are you riding? Say you never ever leave from beside me. Cause I want you and I need you. And I'm down for you always. KB, do you love me? Are you riding? Say you never ever leave from beside me. Cause I want you and I need you. Okay, how many times have you watched the music video at this point? Not that many. We're, really? It's a great music video. We're video yeah. agnostic. Yeah. I mean, okay. we... Well, I mean, just I, I think our our whole thing is that we are really interested in what musically drives something. Mm-hmm. Like, so much of popular music is obviously driven by by image and celebrity and uh, all of the video and touring elements that create and sort of reify an identity of this person. But... Again, back to just boot up very quickly. It's like if mm-hmm. you've got a good track, that thing might just weasel its way into people's ears in a sort of mysterious, magical way. And what we like to do is look at what is that magical little musical thing that happens because there's no shortage of of people to make really great uh, video breakdowns of things. Um, that's not us. We're all about yeah. the music. But yeah, it is a fun video. Yeah, the, also, case, yeah. but the but yeah, the video the video was like huge for this one because this yeah. is buried seventeen songs deep in Scorpion. Yeah. It's the other you know bounce adjacent record that's right. on there. Any number of things were happening at this point. Drake basically got suplexed through a table by Pusha T, and <laughs> you know, then like and then he released the I'm Upset video. Then this happens, and yeah. it's just kind of like there was this video dance craze. Everybody right. loves it. Yeah. And then the music video came, which means that we're going to get a second wave of the song. We're going to be hearing it yeah. forever. He's got a smart team. They know yeah. how, they know how to land these yeah. things and get everything <laughs> at the right moment. And that does not at all draw away from I think our sort of musical interpretation of it. Yeah. So why is it this song instead of Nice for What? I don't have a good answer for that. I'm sorry because I really like the Lauren Hill sample and the sort of like Chipmunk Soli version of that that mm. track. That was my personal favorite. I mm. have to say. Okay. I can only offer a hypothesis, which is that I'm hung up on it, but this idea of, you know, cyclicity and this mm-hmm. song just has this quality that so much of Drake's most popular songs do, I think, where there's this like kind of cellular melodic idea, kind of a cellular sample, and those are repeated uh, over and over again, but in a way that you never get tired of. Um, There's always a little bit of change which is happening. Yeah. It's it's hard to anticipate what's going to happen next, I think. Yeah. I mean, I I don't know. It's, it's, it would be fun to put these two songs, maybe we should do this on the podcast actually, to put these two songs side by side because in some way they're so similar. I think why it's hard to answer is like, well, I don't know. What is it that really separates in my feelings from Nice for What? I I mean, I think in this case it, it may be the lyrical quality. Well, there's a specificity and an intimacy to that central line, Kiki, do you love me? Or insert, you know, name of right. person here. Right. And but maybe that's that sort of draws us in a little bit. Anytime you hear someone's name, that's like that's it's kind true. of indelible. Yeah, but at the same time, we did start Nice for What with everybody, get your motherfucking roll on, which <laughs> I'm always happy to hear, you know, that uh, the specificity of Kiki and wondering who Kiki might be. Right. Also, there's kind of this warm honeyed quality to it mm. more so than say nice for what because of the Lauren Hill sample maybe mm. um, there's something about in my feelings that just for, forgive me for a little bit of homerism here just kind of <laughs> like sounds like the like the dusk out like the mid-afternoon dusk hours mm. of being like in Louisiana <laughs> on like just the fact that you can like it sounds specifically like a place where you can be drinking a beer at a bar and not finish it and there's plastic <laughs> cups next to it and you can walk down the street with a beer this I love it oh, man <laughs> like, take it go we, go Homeric we love it we were just there a few weeks ago together yeah. doing exactly that so. we like to we like to wax poetic <laughs> to to put that to put the song in dialogue with the other two at, at the top of our list Cardi B and LMI you know, there is, it, it's related, I guess, in the sense that all three have this this intertextuality and this sort of looking back feeling. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, you know, looking back in, in, in the case of, in my feelings to uh, the history of New Orleans bounce, LMI, 90s R&B, Cardi B, 1960s and 70s salsa and boogaloo. 
what's what's so fascinating about all these songs is that there's this this sense of nostalgia and excavating the past to to mm. to, to, to bring to the present. That has a bit of, I think that but pull out that timeless quality by giving you some real nostalgia of things that you know. Um I, I also I think it's worth pointing out that these songs in many ways for me couldn't be more disalike. I mean as somewhat as much as they have mm-hmm. some of these throwing out of normal form structures we're not getting your, your typical verse choruses in a way that we expect them. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and even and even like in the hip hop tracks, you're not getting like verse, hook, verse, hook, verse. There's weird breakdowns and things that are happening, which might be sort of more characteristic of underground hip hop, but something you might not expect on the pop charts. Mm-hmm. So, okay, there's those similarities. But when you look at the sort of the genres from which they're drawing on, we're not getting one sound of the summer. Uh the New York Times did a piece recently about how songs of summer are becoming more alike, and they sort of traced across a, a number of factors over the last twenty years um, whether or not songs are more or uh, more similar or dissimilar from their peers on the charts. And I, I don't know personally, I think that these are really different kinds of tracks. If you put them back to back, and they don't—they're not blending and mixing together uh, in a way which, for me, says that. There is one sound of the summer. There are many sounds of the summer. And I, th- I think that's very exciting. Right. And also that piece is uh, why songs of the summer sound the same by uh, Seal Chinoy and uh, Jesse Ma. We're going to put that in the show notes for you. But I think also in addition to all of the things that we've discussed already, like the musicality of it, the, the cyclicity of it, yeah. so on and so forth, like the way that it plays on nostalgia, the reason that In My Feelings is the number one, like the song of the summer, is probably going to be the fact that it is, it also sounds perfect everywhere, like barbecue ability, like we were talking about <laughs> Forgot before. Forgot about the essential quality. Yeah, we got to keep these. We got chill ability, barbecue ability, water hydrant burst ability. This is, this is very scientific. This will yeah. be in a paper by a musicologist Nate Sloan coming out real soon in your favorite journal. Yeah, but also, In My Feelings has, the thing that In My Feelings has that boot up and I like it don't have is Unfortunately, for for the you know like not something that you are something that you're agnostic to, which is <laughs> the Shiggy Challenge. It has that big mm-hmm. cultural moment, yep. like that is meme ability. Meme ability, yeah, it's important. Meme ability is is important. So, so like the song in this case is well, I don't want to say it's almost secondary, but like it is like this music video that recently came out doesn't happen without. Will Smith climbing the Tower Bridge in Budapest. You know, like it's, you need that like one thing to make it become a cultural moment. The song literally references Instagram in its outro, right? Yeah. It grabs the yeah. sample of the show Atlanta. So we've got a little childish Gambino crossover yeah. happening here. Um, and, you know, my Instagram game is, is you know, not happening. I, I got to get a picture <laughs> with Drake. Because, like, that's literally, so like, the memeability is embedded within the track. And mm. of course that's important for how it's going to spread. And I, th- I think similarly important is are the changes in how the Billboard counts uh, listens now, right? Mm, yeah. So you know, Drake is really smart about putting out these albums with 70,000 songs on them. Yeah. Because uh, the Billboard now counts absolute plays across an album, not just sort of runs of a, a single on the radio. And so if you look at uh, you look at some of the charts, you're like, wow. Everything is a Drake song for a week, all of it. And it's just because people are going through the entire album and then they find that track they like, they keep listening mm. to that, and then that one sticks around. Mm. That's a really smart way to capture a lot of media attention. Again, not the thing that Switched on Pop is maybe the most interested in because mm-hmm. the musical qualities, are, I, I think, are, at least for us, always the most interesting. And you, mm-hmm. and you can't, I don't believe, with the exception of I'm the one, I don't think <laughs> you can have a bad song that sticks around for a long time. There's always got to be something that... That makes it work. Yeah, and there's and there's plenty of stuff on this track, you know, with the memeability, with the video, with all of this track is really a really hot track. Which is why it is our definitive song of the summer. Do not argue. For those of you keeping score at home, the criteria for song of the summer that <laughs> right. we've come up with <laughs> yeah. uh, have been. Help me out. Okay. Chillability. So, yes. Chillability is key. Barbecue ability. Cyclicity. <laughs> Drivability. Drivability, right. You gotta be able to play it in many places. So if you're gonna drive to it, you also have to then later dance to it 
at a club. So right. be, danceability is very important. And it's got to have the quality of like once it's over, you want to start it again immediately. Yeah, mm-hmm. that sort of timeless mm-hmm. and nostalgia and all that. Like, all that stuff. kind of yeah. mushed yeah. in yeah. together. Yeah. Intertextuality, <laughs> referencing other genres and time periods. Also, we can't forget uh, meme ability, mm-hmm. everybody's Absolutely. favorite category. <laughs> And the song that checks all of those boxes is In My Feelings by Drake, our definitive song of the summer. This is Sean Fennessy. My song of the summer for all time is Big Pimpin' by Jay-Z featuring UGK. Many chicks want to put chicken fist and cup. The boss, I'm going to split his bucks. Just because you got good hair, I'm going to break bread so you can be living it up. Shit, I cost with nothing. Y'all be fronting. Me give my heart to a woman. Not for nothing. Never happen. I'll be forever macking. Heart cold and assassins. I got no passion. I got no patience. And I hate waiting. Hope get your ass in. And let's ride. And the reason for that is I have a very specific memory of hearing this song while mowing my mother's lawn and thinking to myself, my life is not going in the right direction right now and I'm not doing the things that I want to do. And Big Pimpin' is a song that is maybe not aging well as time goes on, but it's kind of intoxicating, beautiful, fascinating production by Timbaland featuring Jay-Z at the peak of his powers and featuring UGK, who's a legendary Texas rap act who hadn't had kind of a major populist moment and a lot of people were really introduced to the group at that time and I wouldn't say that I was inspired by the song necessarily but it made me think about how a song is made what it means why it explodes and who the people are who make it and that ultimately led to a lot of things that happened in my career which is when I started writing about music and thinking about music and how music was constructed and why it was representative of something so that song for me is always the most important summer song I'm Chris Ryan, and this is my all-time song of the summer. It's I'll Be There For You, You're All I Need. With uh, It's Method Man and Mary J. Blige. came out April of 95, which was the spring I graduated high school. And it was my first like major girlfriend I had at the time. So I remember that song starting to be on the radio right around the time we were about to graduate. And it was just this incredible anthem. It had this biggie sample. It was like, I had been a Wu-Tang fan for years, but th- this was kind of like this huge breakout pop moment where I feel like even my mom knew that song at the time. There were few things that's forever, my lady. We can make war or make babies. Back when I was nothing, you made a brother feel like he was something. That's why I'm with you to this day, boo, no frontin'. Even when the skies were great. And then interestingly enough with this song, you know, I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do with my life at the time. I was pretty sure I wanted to write, but I didn't know. And that August, I think I was away with my parents in Vermont. And the New York Times Magazine came out. And I was not like a New York Times reader as a a high schooler, but I remember this article really vividly. I think it was by a guy named Stephen Taltry. And it was this big critical essay about the love song of the summer and like the history of the loves, like summer love songs and the idea of the song of the summer. And it was actually the first time I think I thought of things as like a song of the summer anyway. But it was also the first time that I think I read something and I was like, I'd like to do this. I'd like to write about music. And so so in some ways, it's like a love song that makes me remember why I wanted to ever write about anything in the first place. And then, of course, it's just also an incredible jam. Hi, this is Michael Bauman, and my personal definitive song of the summer is Lens Steal My Sunshine. The song was on Philadelphia's Q102 constantly in 1999, and I've spent most of my life since trying to figure out why it made me so happy.
Music video is just people hanging out at a boardwalk directed by the band, which reminds me of my own summers as a teenager hanging out at the Jersey Shore. The video gave rise to one of the best paragraphs on Wikipedia, which I'll quote from now. They spent much of the budget on alcohol, buying so much they broke their hotel's elevator trying to lift it. They shot the video in the afternoon so they could recover from hangovers in the morning and drink in the evening. The scenes were shot without a script or storyboard. Steal My Sunshine will never be topped because nowadays feeling that happy would just seem inauthentic. Karen, I love you! That's it. That's all we got. Thanks so much for listening. Special thanks to Charlie and Nate for helping me out today. Subscribe to their show, Switched on Pop, which is currently halfway through its Songs of the Summer series, breaking down summer hits of the past from the Beach Boys to Beyonce. They've also authored chords and sounds that listeners can use to compose their own Song of the Summer on Splice. The winner will have their track featured on their show. Entries are due August 22nd at splice.com slash onpop dash fire. Shout out my producers, Agia Chagre and Zach Mack. Don't forget to check out our playlist that we will be updating every week with the songs that we're listening to. A link to that is in the description. Also, please rate and subscribe, but only if you like the show. We'd really appreciate it. Peace. See you next week. It's Agia Chagre, one of the producers of On Shuffle. I'm going to use my producer card real quick to break the rules. I'm not going to tell you about one particular song or artist that reminds me of summer. I'm actually going to take you back to an entire summer that I think is full of hits and superior to any other when it comes to music. And that is summer 2004. Beyonce, to Maroon 5, to Hoobastank, to Fat Joe, Juvenile, Kevin Little, they were all releasing some of their best songs across the board that year. And for me personally, summer 2004 was really important because I was about to enter middle school and I was at this point where I truly had no care in the world and it was the greatest thing ever. If you were anything like me at that point, the only thing that you remotely cared about was either trying and failing to shoot your first shot or begging your older cousins to take you to some party that you definitely weren't allowed to be at yet. Being in that time where I was so carefree, I just felt like I had the perfect soundtrack to go along with all the fun I was having. And because of that, when I think about Song of the Summer or what summer sounds like, I think I will always think about Summer 2004. 